0: Thank you for tuning in to episode 122 of The Virtual Couch. I'm your host, Tony Overbay. I'm a licensed marriage and family therapist, certified mindful habit coach, writer, speaker, husband, father of four, ultra marathon runner, and creator of The Path Back, an online pornography addiction recovery program that is helping people reclaim their lives from the harmful effects of pornography once and for all. If you or anyone that you know is struggling to put pornography behind them, and trust me, it can be behind you, and when you do put it behind you, you will discover you are capable of a lot of things that your brain had convinced you otherwise to simply keep you turning back to pornography. And you'll realize that you were carrying around a heavy backpack full of shame that was so heavy that you just hadn't realized it had gotten so heavy and it will feel like a burden lifted. So please head over to pathbackrecovery.com. There you can download a short ebook that describes five common mistakes that people make when trying to overcome pornography addiction. Again, that is pathbackrecovery.com. And please visit uh, Virtual Couch on Instagram. And now you can find the Virtual Couch page on Facebook. That is new. Previously, I was pointing people simply to Tony Overbay, Licensed Marriage and Family Therapist, but go like them both. Why not? And if you have a minute and you've enjoyed some of the Virtual Couch podcast material, please do me a favor and go rate, review, and subscribe the, to the podcast wherever you get your podcast. And uh, keep the gaslighting examples coming. Why? Because there is so much that can be done with those. Not that I am going to put those all together and say, look how evil people are when they gaslight. No, it is the exact opposite. If you are unfortunately in a relationship where all communication or most communication seems like it's unproductive when you try to bring something to your partner and it is flipped back on you and then you feel like the crazy one, you feel like something is wrong with you, there is a way to fix that. But the first way to find help is to be able to recognize it. So my goal in doing this is to bring awareness or bring light to what gaslighting is so that people can go find help. And when I put out an episode on gaslighting, like the last one that I did, it just brings in more and more emails. And here's just another example of the type of reply that, I, that I'm getting. Uh, this person had shared several examples of the way that they had been gaslit throughout their marriage. And they said they've never shared this with anybody. They felt bad about doing it. They said they could go on. Right now they're paralyzed. They don't know how to solve this because the whole problem is they don't know how to get through to their spouse. They can't get their spouse to listen to them. Uh, their spouse is a good provider. Their spouse is nice to other people, but but they say why not me? They can. Their spouse is a very good father. Um, oftentimes, the person that is in the position of being gaslit, the person who ends conversations feeling like what's wrong with me, maybe I am crazy. Oftentimes says that in this phrase, this breaks my heart. But they feel like maybe this is just my lot in life. Um, the person, I got another one from someone that is saying how guilty they feel that they have kept a they've kept examples of gaslighting in a journal. And uh, whenever it gets brought up in their relationship, they're told that you shouldn't be doing that, that you need to let these things go, that why can't you just put these things behind you? But if you keep bringing them up, if these things are triggers, the way these communication patterns happen, then they need to be addressed. So my hope is that in bringing some light to what gaslighting is, that uh, you can go and find help with that. Hopefully you can find a, a good marriage therapist who understands and who can teach you a good communication technique like the one we're talking about today, EFT. Um, So please feel free to keep sending me examples and I am gonna continue to use them for good, I really am. And it does lead into today's topic because today's topic is on couples, the couples marriage therapy technique, the modality that I love best, EFT, which stands for Emotionally Focused Therapy. And uh, just side note, there is an EFT, if you simply just Google EFT, that has something to do with, um, I think it's emotional freedom tapping, I wanna say. I'm not familiar with it, and I actually had a client tell me good things about it a couple of weeks ago. But people come in, and if they have Googled the, you know, if they know or they've seen um, episodes or are on my website where I talk about EFT, and if they haven't really listened to anything or read anything that I've done, they will go Google it. And I've had a couple people come in and wonder, okay, at what point are you going to start tapping on my forehead or on my chest or that sort of thing? So. I am not doing that kind of I don't know that kind of EFT and if you are a if you're listening and you're trained certified in the other EFT please drop me an email I would honestly love to hear more about it okay quick review what is EFT this is from the International Center for Excellence and Emotionally Focused Therapy website uh, also known as ICEEFT.com. EFT is a structured approach to couples therapy formulated in the 1980s and has developed alongside the science on adult attachment and bonding to expand our understanding about what is happening in couples relationships and to guide therapists. In the last 15 years, Dr. Sue Johnson and her colleagues have further developed and refined the model and completed numerous studies. There's actually on the ICEFT.com page, there's a link to studies and the uh, evidence-based data around EFT, and it's a PDF file. I downloaded it, it was about nine pages long, all of various articles and studies that have been done around EFT. So numerous studies done. EFT is also used with families and individuals. And a substantial body of research outlining the effectiveness of EFT now exists. Research studies find that 70 to 75% of couples move from distress to recovery, and approximately 90% show significant improvements. So that is some very, very strong evidence around a modality that can help people communicate better, that can help improve marriages. So today I wanted to dig a bit deeper into what Sue Johnson calls the three demon dialogues. These are some of the roadblocks that occur when people are trying to communicate with your spouse. So I thought the best way to, to talk about these di- demon dialogues was to go over an article from Dr. Sue Johnson herself, author of Hold Me Tight, called Where Does Love Go Wrong or The Three Demon Dialogues That Can Wreck Your Relationship? And this, I'll throw links to this on the, the show notes, but this is from DrSueJohnson.com, and there's a, an incredible amount of information on there about uh, EFT. So Sue Johnson says, Unhappy couples always tell me that they fight over money, the kids, or sex. They tell me that they can't communicate and the solution is that their partner has to change. And I hear that every day in therapy. Their partner would change if, and this is some example, she says, if Mary would just go not get so emotional and listen to my arguments about our finances and the kids, we could finally get somewhere. Or she says that Brian tells me, well, if uh, Brian would talk more um, and not just walk away, we wouldn't fight. I think you're just growing apart here, says Mary. So after 25 years of doing couples therapy and couples research studies, Sue Johnson said she knows that both Mary and Tim and the examples above are just seeing the tip of the iceberg. Submerged below is the massive real issue. Both partners feel emotionally disconnected, and and what she means by that, if you've ever seen the video on YouTube called "It's Not About the Nail," the uh, the nail it looks like that that is the thing that is just right in front of us. It's you know that it that it is about the finances or it is about the kids or it's about sex or something like that. But but underneath all of that is just this lack of connection where the where the both partners feel emotionally disconnected. Um, Sue Johnson says they are watching their backs. They're feeling criticized, shut out and alone. And that feeling criticized is one of these uh, things that, that becomes very evident in a couple setting where you can just say, hey, how was your day? And your spouse says, well, what's that supposed to mean? You know, it's like everything just kind of feels like an insult or criticism. Like there's just this weight kind of in the air instead of how was your day you know, meaning I I really want to hear about what your day was. And then your partner say, no, no, no! you tell me about your day first, you know, where the arguments go from not like what that what's that supposed to mean to I'm thinking about my partner throughout the day. I want to share things with my partner. I can't wait to talk to my partner. And I promise you that is uh, that's not just like a fairy tale. It's really not. So Sue Johnson says underneath all the loud arguments and long silences, partners are asking each other the key questions in the drama of love. And these are key are you there for me? Do I and my feelings matter to you? And will you respond to me when I need you? And that's a big one. Will you respond to me when I need you? If your partner is coming to you saying, I am stressed, I'm overwhelmed. You know, if the response that they're getting is, oh no, here we go. You know, here come, are you going to be emotional about this? Or are you going to talk logically? Or, you know, that is a clear sign that, that you are not able to go to your partner um, unless you do this on their terms, if you do it what, in what, a perfect way for them. And we want our partners to feel like they can come to us with anything. She says the answers to these questions, questions that are so hard to ask and so hard to hear in the heat of a fight make the difference between emotional safety and emotional peril and starvation. And I love that emotional safety. Do you feel emotionally safe with your partner? She says that we know from all the hundreds of studies on love that have emerged during the past decade that emotional responsiveness is what makes or breaks love relationships. And again, emotional responsiveness is what makes or breaks love relationships. How does your partner respond to your emotional bid? When you bring to them a, uh, you know, here's how I am feeling, how do they respond? She says that happy couples can still quarrel and fight, but they also know how to tune into each other and restore emotional connection after a clash. In our studies, she says, we find that 7 out of 10 couples who receive EFT can repair the relationship. They do this by finding a way out of emotional disconnection and back into the safe, loving contact that builds trust. So she says, why can't we do this even without a therapist? What's gonna, What gets in our way? And she says, the new science of love tells us, our loved one is our shelter in life. Think about that. When this person is unavailable and unresponsive, we are assailed by a tsunami of emotions, Sue Johnson says, sadness, anger, hurt, and above all, fear. This is the person that we marry. This is the person that we connected to, the person that we've had kids with, the person that we've thought about our hopes and dreams with. And so we want to be able to go to this person, for them to be our shelter, um, that we can process emotions. This fear um, of this, of what happens when our partner is unresponsive, that fear is wired in. Uh, being able to rely on a loved one to know that he or she will answer our call is our innate survival code. This is that attachment. This is where the attachment bond comes into play. When we were little, we wanted to know that if we cried, there was our parent. If we, pooped, if we pooped, there was our parent. If we were hungry, there was our parent. So we had this expectation of attachment. This is hardwired. So research is clear, when we sense that a primary love relationship is threatened, we go into a primal panic. That's when we will react emotionally because what we're saying inside is, are you there for me? Do I matter to you? And so when that when you can't just calmly say that, when you can't calmly go to your partner and say, man, I'm freaking out, you know, when your partner's like, hey, what's going on? I'm here. Whatever it is, you tell me, you know, if we can't go to our partner with that safety, if they aren't that shelter for us, again, Sue Johnson says the research is clear, we go into primal panic. So she said there's only three ways to deal with our sense of impending loss and isolation. If we were in a happy, basically secure union, we accept the need for emotional connection, and we speak those needs directly in a way that helps our partner respond lovingly. Um, and, and I kind of had some notes here. This isn't Sue Johnson's uh, talk in this article. But I just said, you know, when I hear these things in session, well, I shouldn't have to tell him or, or why not? You know, why, why shouldn't you have to tell your partner what your emotional needs are? It's okay to do that. But, but I understand why we don't want to do that, especially when it doesn't go well. So, and here's why our partners have completely different experiences growing up than we did. That's what's so key about EFT. If we go to our partner and we say, "Here's why I am stressed. I'm stressed about parenting the kids. I'm stressed about money. You know, I mean, money. There's one that." And I'm gonna make everything when I when I put things through this EFT filter. I know they can sound so simplistic, but uh, I have a, I have a, a couple that I worked with long ago where. One of the big breakthroughs we had was, you know, the guy had grown up with a father who worked on commission. He worked in commission and uh, and the wife had grown up around a stable uh, a re- relationship with money where it was kind of always there. Uh, the dad had a very secure, regular job. So the person growing up with this commission based, you know, there's going to be downs and there's going to be ups kind of mentality. It's almost it's kind of almost innate. It's kind of uh, built into them to just feel like, hey, we're going to be OK, where the person that had this security had grown up constantly hearing that uh, people who who you know were out there doing sales or commission based uh, jobs that they were crazy that that you know that they are they're never going to get ahead and so just having that communication where the guy brought into therapy well it actually started with the the wife was the one talking about how emotionally insecure that she was especially around finances or talking about finances because he would just brush her off and just say we're going to be fine. But he would never sit down and look at a budget. He would never, you know, really take accountability for his own spending. So the EFT conversation around money, it it happened fairly quickly once we got to that point where he was able to hear her, that the way that she grew up, this is what financial stability looked like. Here's the things that she heard about people that were in commission sales. So instead of him feeling attacked, saying, I can't believe you're doing that. This is what I do for a living. He was able to say, man, okay, I understand. That makes so much more sense. I can understand why you're scared. And so, I, I'm going to do whatever I can to help. And then he shared his truths, his emotional um, attachments around uh, growing up. And then his father, who always made things work, and how he had always made things work up to that point. So, they were able to have productive communication and not just hunker down in their bunkers and start hurling insults at each other. I think about this often with uh, Christmas for me and my wife. Um, my parent, we would have uh, Christmas Eve. On, uh, on Christmas Eve, we would open all the presents up, that sort of thing. And my parents would head out of town on Christmas. My brother and I were older and we would go hit the movies and uh, we would spend the day in the theater. And so it was so funny growing up to me. And uh, here's where people listening might say, that's horrible. But growing up, it was, you know, hey, we had Christmas on Christmas Eve. Then on Christmas Day, my brother and I just went to a whole bunch of movies. And so Christmas to me meant the theater hopping, which uh, probably wasn't the most legal thing to do. But I'm theater hopping and seeing lots of movies. But I start dating my wife. And my wife hears about that. like, oh my gosh, that's so sad. You know, come spend Christmas Day with us, opening presents. And and there was so many people in her family, and and it was you know they had these traditions. And uh, and I remember the first time I went there, I remember just thinking, okay, what uh, I, what time does the movie start? You know, like when do when do we get to the movie part? And you know, since then I've now really embraced. I, there's nothing I love more than Christmas morning and spending all day with family and opening gifts. But it's just one of those funny things in an EFT world where. I had, a different, uh, I had a different growing up, she did too, and we were able to communicate about that effectively. Um, Sue Johnson says, if we are in a wobbly relationship and not sure how to voice our needs, then we either either angrily demand or we try to push our partner into responding, or we shut down and we move away to protect ourselves. No matter what the exact words we use, what we're really saying is, here, and this is key, we're saying, notice me, be with me, I need you, or I won't let you hurt me, you know, I'll chill out, I'll try to stay in control. So which one of those do we want our partner to, to hear from us, that, that we will be there for them, that, uh, that our partner needs us, or, we, or when they are when they are kind of getting upset or angry, can you see them from this place of, okay, I'm not going to let you hurt me. And uh, obviously, we want our partner to come to us, and we want to be able to be there for them, we want to have the tools to be there for them. She said that if these strategies become front and center in a relationship, then we're like, likely to get stuck in what she calls the demon dialogues these dialogues can take over your relationship. They create more and more resentment, caution, and distance until we reach a point where we feel the only solution is to give up and bail out. So pay particular attention here. If you are even remotely close to this feeling of the only solution being to give up or bail out, then it's time to, to do something about it. And uh, go buy the book Hold Me Tight. She also has a follow-up book called Love Sense. Go see a therapist that is and in, in my opinion, the one that's trained in emotionally focused therapy. Um, there are other modalities out there with people that are very, uh, uh, that they work, that they do. But uh, EFT is the one that I have found to be the most effective. So here we go. She says there are three main demon dialogues that trap couples in a no solution, um, emotional starvation, and insecurity. So here we go. Find the bad guy. There's the first of the demon dialogues. Find the bad guy. She says, this is a dead-end pattern of mutual blame that keeps a couple miles apart. And, I, you know, it's also known as tit for tat. Um, this is the one that I say, get down in your bunker and start hurling insults. But uh, it's called find the bad guy. Fights look like a who gets to define who contest. Um, Dr. Sue Johnson says, as Pam says, I'm waiting for his put down and I have my gun ready. Maybe I'll pull the trigger when he isn't even coming for me. Both partners define the other as uncaring or somehow defective. Everybody loses, but this attack attack pattern is hard to keep up. So it is usually the opening measure to the most common and ensnaring dance of all called the protest polka. So again, find the bad guy is typically the way, play, the way, the way people start. If we make an emotional bid... If, uh, if your partner comes to you and says, hey, I really would like for us to spend more time together. And if your response is, you don't think I've been asking for that too? Or you know, if you put your phone down for five minutes and maybe we could spend more time. And now it's like, oh, if I put my phone down, do you know how often I catch you, whatever? You know, why does it take you half an hour in the bathroom? Your legs are falling asleep. You know, Whatever it is, it's like now we're just poking back and forth, back and forth, find the bad guy. And so nothing productive there. Um, but uh, Sue Johnson said, that, again, that leads to the most common and ensnaring dance of all the protest polka. She said that psychologists knew for years that this demand withdrawal dance leads to divorce, but they weren't able to figure out why. Why is it so widespread and why is it so deadly? We now understand that potent emotions and compelling needs keep this pattern going. The wired in, and this is the key, the wired in need for emotional connection and the fear of rejection and abandonment. Those, that's the key right there. We have this wired in need for an emotional connection. Go back to those attachment uh, patterns that we wanted with as a kid and that we still wanted as we tried to navigate the landscape of friendships. We we have this need for emotional connection, but we also have that fear of rejection and abandonment. So those two things kind of go against each other, right? We want to reach out to somebody, but if they treat us in a a way that is not productive, that doesn't feel good, then we are going to run away because here comes that fear of rejection and abandonment. Sue Johnson said, even if our brains know that we are somehow making things worse by criticizing or shutting our partner out, we can't just switch this off. We can't switch off this longing and fear. She said, the more he refuses to talk to me or dismiss my feelings, the angrier I get and the more I poke him, Um, anything just to get a response from him. And in this situation that was coming from a woman named Mia, Uh, her partner Jim picks up and the more I hear that angry tone in her voice, the more I just hear that I can never please her. I just get hopeless and more silent. How many of you know that one? So the the spouse is getting angrier and angrier. The more that he refuses to talk or dismisses my feelings, the angrier I get and the more I poke at him. And that goes back to that, you know, that kind of wild concept of whatever the reaction, be it positive or negative. And in this case, the, the spouse is seeking whatever it is, even if it's negative attention. When that is happening, notice that her partner, Jim, the guy in this one says, when I hear that angry tone is the more I just hear that nothing can please her. I get hopeless and more silent. I see that one in therapy all the time. The wife will say a whole lot of things and the guy just goes into this like, you know, 50 yard stare, the deer in the headlights look, or just this kind of shut down, almost this like, hey, let me know when you're done. And if I kind of go to him and say, man, what are you feeling here? And he's not saying anything, you know, uh, or if I can get him to talk, and this is the part where he might say, well, what I'm hearing is that uh, she wants to get, you know, she wants to divorce me. She wants to have nothing of me. Nothing I can do is right. And, and you look over and the wife all of a sudden is thinking, I didn't say any of that. I'm just saying, I need you to respond. I want to hear what you think. And so, you know, that's when I get to look at the guy and say, yeah, that's the part where she isn't quite the mind reader that you, you kind of give her credit for. So we have to be able to express things. But I understand. I hear that when he has tried to express things in the past, then maybe that hasn't gone well either. So, you know, in this uh, example that Sue Johnson gives, she says it's this spiral that is the enemy, not the other partner, though neither partner recognizes this. And this one, she says Mia is protesting Jim's distance his pulling away and Jim is frantically trying to avoid her disapproval. He's, he's worried. He is very worried that anything he says is going to actually make things worse. And he probably has some examples in his mind of where he did try to talk through something. She got more angry. And so in his mind, it's like, I just got to hunker down and take this. It'll eventually blow over and then uh, we can kind of move on. So the, they talk this way because they sense an alarming answer to the attachment question. Are you there for me? In the protest polka, each person in an attempt to deal with their sense of emotional disconnection unwittingly confirms the other's worst fears. That's the crazy part, right? They're so afraid of this emotional disconnection that she may amp up her, you know, are you there for me kind of dialogue. And then he's going to withdraw. So those those responses confirm the worst fears and keep the spiral going. In the end, the demanding protesting partner begins to give up the struggle for connection, grieve the relationship, and also move away. So now all of a sudden you've got him shut down and you've got her kind of giving up on things. And she said this leads into the last dance of all called freeze and flee. In this dance, both partners feel helpless. No one is reaching out for anyone here. Nobody is taking any risks. Everybody has run for cover. In other relationships, this might be fine for a while. With the people that we love, this no-response dance can become excruciating. Indeed, the partners here aren't really dancing at all. Sue Johnson says they're sitting it out. And we are not wired to tolerate this kind of isolation. If nothing changes, the relationship is in a free fall. So when folks are caught in the demon dialogues, when they come in and uh, ask, uh, Sue Johnson says if they ask, is there any hope for us? She tells them, sure there is. When we can understand what the drama of love is all about, what our needs and fears are, then we can help each other step out of these negative dialogues and into positive, loving conversations that bring us into each other's arms and safely home. So let's take a look at the first of the demon dialogues. I want to spend a little more time on that one today, and I want to get the other two in a future episode. The first of the demon dialogues are find the bad guy, a.k.a. the blame game. Dr. Johnson said that find the bad guy is the blame game that leads to nowhere but conflict. Because when we get locked into, no, it's your fault, no, it's your fault, all we're going to do is put our brains into fight or flight mode. All that rational reasoning part of the brain is just taking a back seat because we got this just adrenaline flowing. Um, and fight or flight mode is like to say we're going into this, you know, our brain saying assume battle stations, head to our bunkers and just start hurling insults. If they're going to say something, then we're going to say something either even worse. And a lot of times we're going to bring out the heavy artillery. A lot of times this is the why don't you just leave? We might as well just get a divorce, those sort of things, which... You know, it's 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 horrible because what we're ultimately hoping to do is, I mean, what is that? If we throw the right... Whoa, I just hit my uh, mic stand. Sorry about that. You just, I'm, I'm gesticulating. Is that the word? My hands are going everywhere. So let me kind of calm this down. All right. So when we assume battle stations, when we head to our bunkers, we're hurling out these insults at each other. It's like, what are we ultimately hoping to do? Throw one that if landed perfectly will then bring the ceasefire? Is it is it like, you know, well, I wouldn't be so angry if you knew how to cook, to which then he says... Something like, ah, okay, well played. That one, that one got me. You know, you win this round, but I'll get you next time. And no, I mean, there's nothing like that. There's nothing productive about this when we get into that, uh, that blame game, that find the bad guy. So why do couples engage in this type of behavior? Hopefully, hopefully, you're kind of understanding where we're headed with this. Johnson says that they're doing it to avoid talking about the real issues. If you're the blamer, then you can point the finger at the other partner and not at yourself. If you're the partner, if your partner says to you, I really wish you would have talked to me before you punished our daughter because I've been working really hard on trying to salvage that relationship um, to which an unhealthy response would be, well, I think you're too soft on her anyway. It was time for me to let her know that we're not messing around anymore. Um, That way he doesn't have to be vulnerable and say, yeah, I'm sorry. That one's on me. You know, I, I really didn't even think about it. I was just so mad when she mouthed off and I just reacted. And here's the deal. EFT is going to facilitate that type of a response if both partners are engaged in trying to work on the communication patterns if they're trying to work on the relationship because he's not going to say that type of thing if he he's not going to say you know my bad I didn't think about that I was just so angry he's not going to say that if the type of response that he feels like he is going to get is you know well that's the whole problem you never think about things that have to do with me so then you can see where we get stuck where Where if this isn't a a healthy, productive pattern, then we have to figure out how to get into that healthy, productive pattern. Um, So the couple is already in fight or flight mode, find the bad guy mode. If they are already locked in, then they can avoid having to deal with those emotions by pointing fingers at their partner saying, no, you're at fault, not me. When we start blaming, our partner is feeling attacked. And again, there are brain scans to show every bit of what's happening here. When a partner is being attacked, when the brain is in fight-or-flight mode, there are not these little areas of the brain that are like lighting up with warmth and, and tell me more and these synapses opening. No, no, it's like fight-or-flight time. It really is. But if the partner hears, man, I am so sorry. That, that's that's on me. You're right. I didn't think about that. I didn't even, you know, I, I was just so angry. When when the person putting out the emotional bit, when the person who is saying, man, I wish you wouldn't have talked to our daughter that way. If their partner is saying, "You're right," you know, we need to figure this thing out. The person who said that, who put out that emotional bid, throw a little brain scan helmet on her. (laughs) I mean, I don't think there is such a thing. It would be nice to develop one. I'd I'd have it my in my office. But you would see the little synapses of the brain opening up. You'd see areas lighting up. You would see this. There's no fight or flight mode kicking in there. It's this turning toward each other kind of mode, and that's what we're trying to get at. I promise you, every dialogue, every conversation can end up being a productive conversation where we not only were able to express our feelings and emotions, but we just learned more about our partner and why they think the way that they do. Um, So when we're locked into a find the bad guy, the one that emotionally disengages or shuts down usually does so for self-preservation. It's this natural response for the blamed partner to, to divert negative attention away from himself or herself as a way to just deal with the ongoing distress of the relationship. But the big problem is that over the months and years, when our partner comes in and says, this is, I kind of alluded to this earlier. If our partner comes in and says, how was your day? You know, and the other partner says, well, what's that supposed to mean? To which the person who initiated the conversation says, man, geez, sorry for asking about how your day was. You know, this find the bad guy dialogue starts to become an automatic interaction that leads to these insecure bonding, this insecure bonding in couples. So a therapist will teach a couple to take a different look. You know, we have to It's a new paradigm. It becomes this framework of how to communicate that encourages language and it creates safety and trust. And anytime I say safety and trust, I want to say pixie dust, but I know that isn't applicable right now. But safety and trust and a willingness to take ownership of past behaviors. And I always say the semantics become so important, um, turning statements from the you never to, you know, I feel like. And I was trying to think of a good example for this, and I went through a few of them. But uh, let's see. Try down a couple notes. Okay. So, like an example. Hey, you're always so distant when you get home from work. If you change that to, you know, I feel like when you get home from work, you aren't ready to talk. In the first example, you're always so distant. You know, then the husband goes into the defensive immediately. Well, you don't even ask me about my day. And at that point, you can see here we go. Get in your bunker, start hurling the insults. In the second delivery, I feel like when you get home from work, you you don't seem like you're ready to talk. A husband would be more likely to say, you know, I really hadn't noticed that. Or or tell me what you're seeing, or I can understand that that would be hard if you feel like I don't want to talk, because then we get to his truth. Maybe his truth is, and this is a semi-real example of, of a guy who then said, because when I get home, I feel so bad that you've had such a rough day, um, they had a bunch of little kids, that I sort of just want to kind of go slip in and notice until I can kind of figure out what to do. Because I feel like when I walk in the door, I do, I feel like I'm not sure what to do here, because I know you've had a stressful day. You know, when we've had a productive conversation like that, if she's going at him saying, hey, I, I notice I just feel like you're not in a place to talk when, when you get home. And if he's like, oh, my gosh, I am so sorry if that's what you're seeing, because I feel like you're, you know, I, I feel like what I see is that you're, you're pretty frustrated and I just don't want to make things worse. Can you see how that turns into a productive conversation rather than the, you know, uh, you're always so distant, you know, you're, you're just in your own head. You're so full of yourself when you walk in the door. I mean, we know that we're off to the find the bad guy races at that point. And, and again, uh, rainbow is unicorn, sure, it, when I kind of put it that way. But that's where we're heading. Everybody needs to own a unicorn and have a rainbow at some point um, if they're able to communicate effectively. And EFT does do that. A good therapist using EFT concepts facilitates couples' dialogues and it sh- helps them show that there's these vulnerable emotions um, and helps them do that, or show these emotions to their partner. And that is demonstrating this uh, ability, this opportunity to kind of give what I call a softer stance, being able to go in there and just like, hey, I've kind of got something I want to bring up, right? And now your partner immediately kind of turns to you and says, "Okay, well, yeah, what can I do to help you?" You tell me what do you see in here, and it, and it, it, that's a softer exchange. Over time, with with practice, the find the bad guy dialogue is replaced with this emotionally bonded couple that is able to deal with and find solutions to relationship issues. Even if it starts off strong, even if the person goes in and says. You know, uh, why did you do that? I, you know, then the, the partners will say, hey, hey, you know, I, f- I kind of feel like you're going into a little bit of attack mode. And then the person that was putting out that emotional bid can say, OK, you're right. You're right. You know, and, they, and then we drop into this EFT framework and now we can communicate effectively. So I, if, if, I mean, that's really all I wanted to cover today. I'd like to tackle the other two demon dialogues in the not too distant future. The uh, po- protest, uh, protest polka and the freeze and flee. Um, so we'll, we'll hit that uh, down the road, but I highly recommend you find and download the other podcasts that I've done on EFT. I recommend that you buy Sue Johnson's books Hold Me Tight, or she has a newer one called Love Sense. And uh, they will start to point you down a path of better healthy communication. But uh, right now I want you to see if you can kind of identify, identify where you are in these demon dialogues and, and, and understand where where that uh, is probably heading and see if you can kind of learn how to get out of these demon dialogues. but it, and if it's not natural, like even Sue Johnson normalizes, then go get help. Start with a book. Uh, Move on to a therapist. Do whatever you have to do. But uh, there is help. You can have this amazing, hopefully uh, productive relationship with your spouse and uh, that comes with, I had to do it, right? A unicorn and a rainbow. Next time, uh, I will see you next time on The Virtual Couch. Compressed emotions flying past Our heads and out the other end the pressures of the daily grind. It's wonderful. Elastic waste and rubber ghost are floating past the midnight hour. They push aside the